As you stand in body or spirit, I invite you to join in what was very likely the practice of Jesus and the disciples, which is when they came before God's word, they would recite what was called in Hebrew, the Shema, what Jesus, of course, called the great commandment. So if you'll follow after me in Hebrew, we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. As we continue in the story of our beginnings through uh, Genesis this summer, we come to chapter 2 in the story of the garden. We're going to pick up in verse 15 and go through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Phone rang. I answered it, and these were the first words I heard from somebody on the other end here at the church. David, the first thing I want you to know is no one was hurt. Well, that's got my interest. Obviously, we're not planning a party. And he went on to tell me, and you may have seen this on the news or social media about the car that caught fire in our parking lot on the west side. It was fortunately after Bible school, though some of the volunteers and and students were still here. The car was smoking and the driver noticed it and pulled over uh, into our parking lot and then boom, it caught on fire. Well, not long after that, in fact, four days after that, I'm driving along 410 uh, heading for a breakfast taco, and I notice on 410 a car smoking and on fire, and a fire truck is there. So I start thinking about that, and then yesterday morning I get in my car and the check engine light comes on, and I'm thinking, I might want to take this seriously. It seems sometimes that when we miss out on the way things are designed or by our perhaps omission or when things even by uh, accident don't go as they're designed, difficult things can happen. Cars can catch on fire. I was thinking about something that happened when I was younger, much younger um, days. Uh, When I was uh, younger in my uh, early uh, years, it was popular back then for a Christmas present here in Texas to give your boys a, a, a replica football uniform. Do y'all remember those? And uh, so my neighbor got one with the Dallas Cowboys. And my parents gave me one with the Houston Oilers. So you can imagine what we wanted to do on Christmas morning as we came out in his front yard, found each other, put on our helmets, and we started to charge. My dad came running out the front door and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. And we pulled up and he explained to us that the helmets we had were plastic helmets and they had a little sticker on the back that said they are not meant to be used as a football helmet. They were just decoration. And we were about to use them for something they were not designed for and who knows what might have happened. It got me to thinking, how is life designed? How does life optimally lived? How do we live our life to where we don't crash? How do we live our life to where we don't catch on fire? 
And I believe uh, part of what happens in the Bible is, among other things, we get instructions about how life is to be lived really well and according to God's design. And if I were gonna look in the Bible for a place where I saw that God designed life, um, I might look at the 10 commandments. I might look at Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. But this morning, I wanna suggest to you, if you wanna see how life is set up and meant to work, I would go to the creation story, to the story of the first human being placed in the Garden of Eden. Now, as you no doubt know, this is Father's Day and this also Baptism Sunday at 9, 30 and 11. And so it got me to thinking, what is it that my own father wanted for me in life? And as I think about it, I realized that probably the things my father wanted for me are the same things I wanted for my kids. And, and if I were to, to just narrow them down, I would think that among the things my father wanted for me were my joy, he wanted me to enjoy life, to, to have a sense of, of happiness and well-being in life. I think he also um, uh, wanted for me uh, uh, that I would be mature. I mean, and that I would mature sooner rather than later because quite frankly, I was one of five kids and my parents just hadn't, didn't have time to wait for me to grow up. There were things I needed to do and, and start doing. So I think he wanted my maturity. And I also think, because I'm, my dad was very clear about this with my mom. He wanted me to be a person of compassion, someone who would care about other people. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, in some way, doesn't our own heavenly parent want the same thing? Want for us our deepest joy? Want for us that we would grow up and learn how to live in this world? And want for us a sense of compassion and responsibility um, toward other people and their well-being. And so if you're willing to grant me that this morning, let me just ask this question. So how does God facilitate this? How does God help us become what God wants us or who God wants us to be and what God wants us to do? I was reading um, one scholar's opinion on Genesis and it, it, it was written in 1972, but the sentence caught my eye. He said this, he said, in fatherly care, God places the first person in the garden. And so that really tipped me off that, that when we want to look at what God wants to do for our life and how God wants to do it, the garden is probably a pretty good place. So here's what I want to do, and I'll do it um, uh, pretty quickly because some of us are getting on a bus and going someplace fun. So we, we want to like move this along. I, I see three things that I think God does originally, which I believe might be helpful if we understand and even practice in our life. The first thing is that God placed the first human being in the garden and, and gave that person a job to do. God said, I'm putting you in the garden. I want you to work it and take care of it. Another one version says, I want you to till it and, and mend it. But in other words, you've got a job. You're going to take care of stuff in the garden. It's pretty fascinating because when we think of the garden, we sort of think of it as, as paradise. And, and I believe that in many ways that's true. But most ancient myths about paradise, like if you've heard of the Elysian fields or Elysium or something like that, people sat around, did nothing. And they thought sitting around doing nothing was paradise. The biblical version is completely different. Paradise is that we have something good and worthwhile to do. And not only uh, do we have something to do, I would say by doing it, it, it's one of the ways that we mature 
and we grow and our life is shaped by, by having, having something to do. Uh, when our oldest child uh, was in school, he went through a period of separation anxiety. And because, you know, we're modern parents, we wanted to be on top of it. Immediately, we rushed him to the counselor. The counselor spent about 10 minutes with my son, sent him out of the room, called us in for about an hour. And one of the first questions he asked me, and he asked my wife is, what chores does your son have? What do you ask him to do around the house? And we looked at each other and we had to admit the answer was nothing. It's like the Greek version of paradise. Everything was done for him. And the counselor began to explain to us how important it was that he have some things for which he was responsible and that this would help him grow and mature. It's important for us to to find something to do, to have a vocation or avocation in life where where we make a contribution. It, It not only grows us, but it fulfills part of our purpose for being here. It's actually good to have work to do in the garden. And in fact, a lot of us think that our vocation is, well, I'm a farmer or I'm a teacher, I'm in sales, I'm administrative assistant, I'm pastor. But I really think the main vocation everyone has is I work in a garden. I work in God's creation and I try to help that creation be what God wants it to be. That's the job all of us, uh, God wants all of us to be trained for and to live out. So the first thing I would tell you is God creates us with work to do, and that's not a bad thing. The second thing, notice though, what God gives is not only a job, God gives a great deal of freedom. God says, now look, all these trees in the garden, you can eat eat any of them. There's a lot of freedom. There's something about freedom that is necessary for us to grow as human beings. Uh, My wife was out of town last week, so I was uh, I kind of binge watching, uh, in, uh, in my weird way, old documentaries. And I came across one on FDR. And part one of the documentary on President Roosevelt was about his being raised at Hyde Park. And part of the point they were making is he never made a decision for himself. His mother, Sarah Delano uh, uh, Roosevelt, was completely, completely overwhelming him, making every call. His father tended to be distant. And, and, but would have a few expectations that he was uh, to live according to. But practically everything was done for him as a child. He'd never made any decisions. And they sent him off to boarding school and he wrote home in his first letter, I'm getting along swimmingly. But the truth of the matter was he was struggling at school and he had no friends. And part of the reason was he had never had choices before. He had never held a baseball bat in his hand. He had uh, n- never had to choose uh, between uh, one menu or another and pick out and even know what his food, favorite food might be. There's something about making choices that helps us grow and helps us mature. Uh, God really wants uh, grown-ups, I think not, um, not automatons or robots. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the guy was effusing praise on his guest. And he says, you know, he's so wonderful. Uh, his marriage is wonderful. His family's wonderful. He has five daughters. They're all great. And he said, and even his dog, he said, his dog is like the Stepford dog. Do y'all remember the old movie of the book, The Stepford Wives, who were like robots and they did whatever their husbands commanded? And so they were saying, this dog, even as a puppy, sits when he's supposed to sit and, and stays in his place when he's supposed to. 
and does everything. And I'm wondering, that works for dogs. They're pack animals. But for us, we need that freedom. We need to be able to make choices. And in the exercising of choices, we'll make some mistakes. But in those mistakes, we will grow, we will learn, and we will mature. Judaism and Christianity share a firm belief in freedom. There are 613 commands in the Old Testament, and the reasoning goes like this. Why would God give us a command unless we had a choice to obey it or not? Uh, that the whole, our whole faith is built on, on freedom. As one Jewish philosopher said years ago, he said, we must be free, we have no choice. If there's anything that's predetermined in life by God is that we will have choices. And part of growing up is having choices and learning what to do with them. And then finally, in addition to giving Adam a job to do and choices to make, God, of course, says to Adam, you can eat of any tree, but you can't eat that one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm not really sure what was on that tree or what made it what it was. It's interesting, the Bible just doesn't even wanna go there. It's just like, that's a tree you're not supposed to eat and doesn't really give us a whole lot of reasoning behind it. But one of the things it tells me is that life as God created it in the garden had boundaries. You can do all this, but you can't do that. That life when it's lived well is lived with limits. I mean, have you ever seen a river without limits? I think we call it a flood. Have you ever seen a game played and there's nobody to referee the rules? Um, Nikki Gumbel uh, from the UK is a lawyer turned pastor teacher. And he said that one day um, at his um, kids' youth football, which is soccer, youth soccer game, the refs didn't show up. So they looked at him and they said, you used to be a lawyer. Now you're a pastor. We know you'll be fair. You ref. Well, he said, you know, I didn't even know all the rules of soccer and much less ever officiated a game. And he said, the game was a disaster. The parents were yelling, the kids were yelling. And finally the officials showed up and it became a completely different game. There was a great game the other day in the World Cup, the opening game between Spain and, and Portugal ended in a tie. And they said it was one of the classic games that had been played in the opening round. My guess is it wouldn't have been a classic had it not been well officiated. Had there not been someone to set the limits, the lines on the field, uh, how you can uh, uh, hit someone and how you cannot take someone out where you can and cannot be. And life flows like that. One of the great things about being in the garden is to learn that we're not in charge of everything. We can't do anything we want. There are some boundaries and the things are important. When um, uh, in, in another town, we used to live on a busy street. And so what we taught our kids was it had a big front porch, a very nice front porch, a shady front porch. We said, you can go out in the front porch, but you can't go in the yard in the front. You can play in the back, but you can't play in the front. And of course, the idea was that if they got in the front yard, they would be right along the busy street. We were not trying to hamper their fun. There was a huge backyard they could play in, but we were trying to say, you need a limit. And the boundary is for your own safety, your own health, and your own well-being. And so God creates Adam and Eve in the, and, uh, and as they are in the garden, they have a job to do 
and freedom to do it. But it seems like what gets emphasized most in this day is, but they didn't get this. There was that forbidden tree. Why couldn't they have that tree? And I think we miss the fact that like any good parent, God teaches them right away that you have to understand their boundaries. Or another way to say it is, is that we have to learn to trust when we're given limits and to obey those limits so that ultimately we can be joyful. Ultimately, we can um, be, uh, learn compassion and caring and ultimately we can be a grown-up. But somehow the story always ends up with God getting the reputation of somehow withholding from Adam and Eve and making life harder on them than making it better. And I think on Father's Day, I just stopped for a moment. I realized that what God did was to set them up the way I wanted to set my own children up with conditions that live, that lead to life that is mature, productive, and joyful. I'm reminded of a friend of mine years ago. She was up late uh, with her daughter, who's a teenager. It was a Friday night, and they started watching these old films. And they came across an old comedy film of these two comedians. Some of you may remember them, Abbott and Costello. And Abbott and Costello would get into all sorts of crazy adventures, and they find themselves in a haunted house. And so they hear something. So one of them begins to run because he's afraid. And the other one wants to tell him there's nothing to be afraid of. That noise wasn't a ghost. But as he's chasing his friend, telling him not to be afraid, they run through the laundry room and he ends up running into a sheet and he gets covered with a white sheet. So his friend who's running for his life turns around and looks at him and sees a guy with a white sheet following him. He sees a ghost. So he runs even faster away from the very one who wants to help him and tell him it's okay. And my friend watched that movie. And when it was over, she thought about it as she was going to bed last, that night. And this is what she said. I asked myself, who put the sheet on God? Who turned the one who wants to help us, love us, and grow us up into the one that's trying to chase us and hurt us? The creation story is about a God who gives us freedom and a job and boundaries and does it not to hurt us, but to help us.